Well, this is what I want to try to do today, to put the fear of God and signs and wonders in their right place in the Christian's life, to put the fear of God and the signs and wonders in their right place in the Christian's life. Fear, signs and wonders, what do they mean for us? Let's pray. Father, would you be with us today as we open here your word? That your word would, as we looked at in our building block this morning, that it would just be the authority here. That we would test everything we hear by your word, that we would love your word. And as we receive it, as it is preached now, that it would be encouraging, that it would be convicting that it would build up our faith in endurance and love and fear for you, and that it would lead to repentance, confession, uh, new ways of living this week. We pray this, Father, for your glory, that you would be glorified, that your name would be exalted here, that the gospel would be enjoyed here. And we pray for our own joy as we come to hear your word. We'd be all the more joyful uh, having heard your word today, going into this week, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, it is an amazing thing to be a Christian. It's just an incredible thing to be a Christian. If you meet someone, and you spend time with them, and they're a Christian, you ought to eventually come to a place where you realize they are filled with wonder. They're filled with amazement. There is some kind of reverence and awe in their heart and their soul and in their minds over what God has done for them in salvation. That deep down in the soul there is a being taken aback by God and especially by what He has done by His Spirit and in Christ. This is how Luke describes the community of faith, the church that is forming, that Megan read for us in Acts 2.43. As we mentioned last week, we are looking at these six verses, one per week, and we come to this place, this, and this collection of the description of the church and their response to hearing the gospel and seeing signs and wonders and Luke says, and awe came upon every soul. Every soul had awe. What does it mean to be in awe of something? When you hear the word awe, you might think of like awe, a kitten. You might think of the awe of standing in front of the Swiss Alps. And that the gasp of awe that might come at their majesty and their beauty. But there's another kind of awe, another sense of what it means to be a Christian and to respond to God's work in Jesus. That word here in Greek, behind the word, I just bring it up because it will sound familiar to you, is phobos, from which we get our word phobia. So we come up with words like arachnophobia, which I know that some of you here have. Maybe you have what's known as allergophobia. 
I have developed a fear of this over the years as my wife deals with allergies every year. My allergophobia has increased, the fear of allergies. We recognize this word phobia, it means fear. And almost nine out of ten times in the book of, in the New Testament, the word phobos shows up as fear. The only time in Acts that it shows up as the word awe is here in Acts 2.43. Fear is a common response to Jesus when he is performing miracles in the Gospels. It's a common response to Jesus when he's performing miracles that only God can perform. So in Matthew 14, when Jesus is walking on the water, it says the disciples spoke out loud, it is a ghost. And they cried in fear. In Mark 4, 41, when Jesus spoke to calm the seas, they said, it says, they were all filled with great fear. In Luke 7, when a dead man that Jesus healed set up and began to speak, it says they were all filled with great fear. All our same word, phobos. Do not get the idea that the first century church was in awe as if they were calmly standing around in a painting gallery sipping tea or merely the kind of awe that you might have looking at blue bonnets driving down I-35 or 130. This kind of fear caused trembling. This kind of fear was take your breath away fear. It was deeply reverent. And the signs that God was doing through the apostles sparked fear. This marked the community. This marked the experience over and over through the book of Acts. A few chapters later from now, which we'll probably get to sometime in 2024, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, it says. Ananias and his wife Sapphira had lied to the Holy Spirit. Ananias therefore fell down and breathed his last, and it says, and great fear, Phobos, came upon all who heard about it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him, and then his wife Sapphira came in, having been part of that lie, and immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband, and great fear, Phobos, came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. This kind of fear marked the community of faith, the church, and those who believed the gospel of Jesus Christ when they heard it all through Acts. They saw the power of God at work through signs and wonders, and it brought fear on every soul. Church, guest, there is no right relationship with God that does not include a holy fear of Him. We can't. We cannot rightly order our relationship to a God who is holy and powerful and majestic, who spoke the world into being. We can't rightly have a relationship with Him without this kind of fear. It would be to dishonor him. 
to dismiss him, to miss him altogether. I- imagine if your local crime boss or mob boss, not that you know them, but your president or Michael Jordan or Elon Musk walked into your coffee shop this morning at 9 o'clock. And you don't even notice. You see them, you see their face, they take coffee, they come sit down. You don't even know. That would be difficult for the president because of the, the number of cars that would have been there. But if you just totally acted, like you don't even know who this is. And I know some of you don't know who Michael Jordan is. Your friend might elbow you and say, don't you know who that is? Do you know who that is? That's Tiger Woods. That's the President of the United States. That's whoever it may be. How much more inappropriate. And literally, I mean by the word in a biblical sense, stupid, numb, ignorant. Is it to encounter God in the signs and wonders that he has done and in the resurrection of Jesus himself and respond to that with, yeah, who's that? Yeah, I mean, that's cool. I mean, that's a, a cute story. Aw. It's not that kind of awe. But this is exactly what happened in the previous chapter. The Spirit fell onto the apostles and they began speaking in tongues. That means they began to speak and people from Jews from nations all over the world were there together and Peter and the apostles were preaching the gospel and they were given the gift of tongues so that the people who didn't speak their language heard them speaking in their own language. And some of the people heard them doing this and their conclusion was, oh man, these guys are drunk. These guys must be drunk. And Peter's first answer is, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. Let me share with you what Scripture says. Friends, this is the heart. This is the heart of the problem with those who are wicked, who are unrepentant, who disbelieve, and who reject God. Well, friends, it's not that there is no evidence of God, but there is no fear of God. Friends, maybe this is something that's deeply wrong with you today. Maybe this is something that's deeply wrong with you today. Something is missing inside of you. Nothing in the world is bigger than you. You run your world. There's no fear of God in your eyes, no fear of God in your heart. You can't imagine anything in the, in the world being bigger than you. Nothing defines you. Nothing is more powerful than you. And that is the pride, and that is the flattery, and it is how people trick themselves into thinking they're getting away with sin. I'm really afraid of God, not really worried about God. He probably doesn't even see me. He doesn't care. He doesn't notice. I'm still alive. I haven't died yet. God's probably not even there. He's at least not upset. And Paul quotes Psalm 36, 1 through 4 in Romans. He says, quoting to Psalm 36, 1 through 4, says, Transgression speaks to the wicked in the deep of his heart. Transgression speaks to the wicked in the deep of his heart. In other words, he's thinking about sin deep down in his heart. And, and here's where that comes from in the heart of the wicked. Transgression speaks down deep in his heart, but there is no fear of God before his eyes. He flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. 
The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while he's on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Why? Because deep down in his heart, there's no fear of God. There's no recognition that God is God, that this is His world, that He made me, that I exist because He spoke the world into to being. And God was doing through individuals such as Ananias and Sapphira to help cure the church of this foolishness. Lacking a fear of God. Do you sin against God? Do you sin against man? And you don't even lose sleep? Do you hate your brothers and sisters in Christ and it doesn't even tinge your conscience? Does God even bother you? Consider that this is a mark of the Christian community, the church. They feared God. They were in awe of Him, and it led them to lead different lives. Fearing God is ultimately putting all the world in the right, and and ultimately all the things that matter, matter with God at the center. Solomon in the Old Testament went searching the whole world for what really mattered. And you have the phrase running through the book of Ecclesiastes, and this too is vanity, and this too is vanity, and this is vanity. Swimming pools are vanities, families are vanity, jobs are vanity, work is vanity, everything is vanity. But here's the end of the matter. He comes to the very end, Ecclesiastes 12, 13 to 14. I've looked around the whole world, and I've had everything, guys. I've had businesses, I've owned things. The end of the matter is this. All has been heard. Here it is. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man, Solomon says. For God will bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil. But what brought about this fear in the church? Why were they in awe? Why was every soul taken by awe? It was because of the wonders and the signs that God was doing through the apostles. Look at Acts 2.43 again. Their response, and awe came upon every soul, many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. It was primarily, at least in part, the wonders and signs being done by the apostles which brought them to a place of great fear. Let's just think about what happened in Acts so far that might have brought them to this place of fear. Jesus, who was resurrected, met with the apostles in Acts chapter 1. He promised that the Holy Spirit would come and empower them to be his witnesses on the earth, witnesses of his life, his death, and his resurrection, eyewitnesses, that is. And then Jesus ascended up into heaven, where he is alive today, where he is seated at the right hand of God. That was Peter's whole point in his sermon in Acts 2. Jesus died, but then he rose from the grave. Scripture has been pointing to this for some time. The Holy Spirit then comes down to the beginning of Acts 2, from heaven fills the room where the apostles are staying. And they begin to speak in tongues so that people from nations all over the world hear them preach about Jesus and they can hear it and they can believe it. And from there, miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle continues to happen 
not only in the book of Acts, but in those days in the history of the church. Many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. Many. Here's an example of some that were happening. Look at Acts 5, 12 through 16. A few chapters later, Acts 5, 12 through 16. Just after we lost Ananias and Sapphira, many signs, again, and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. This is kind of describing the same time period and the same fact that these signs were happening frequently and regularly. And they were all together in Solomon's portico, that is the outer porch in the temple. The apostles were there together. Verse 13, none of the rest, none of the, none of the other disciples and believers dared join them because the people held them, the apostles, in high esteem. And more than ever, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and they laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. I mean, that was their hopefulness. Maybe Peter's got to walk back and forth to the temple every day. Maybe we could just get in his shadow something would happen. That's the kind of fear and awe that they have about what's going on. People also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those affected with unclean spirits, demons, like we'll see later. And they were all healed. They were all healed. You recognize this as the power of God. It is fear inducing fear inducing when you have a five centimeter millimeter tumor in your brain and you go to the doctor and you get a new scan and the doctor comes back out and says I don't know what to tell you but the tumor is gone it sends chills up your spine I've heard that kind of account many times over the years. The signs and the wonders that the apostles were doing gave validity to their message that Jesus, whom they had killed, had risen from the dead. And it brought about fear in the community. A fearful awe marked their experience, if you will, their fellowship together. So what do we do with this? What is the order of fear and signs and wonders in the Christian's life worked out? A few things for us today. First, signs and wonders were centered on the apostles' witness about Christ. Signs and wonders were centered on the apostles' witness about Christ. The point here of the signs and wonders is that when the apostles preach, Jesus rose from the dead. Therefore, he is Lord and Christ. It's true. It's validated. It is witnessed as true. People say of the apostles what Nicodemus said about Jesus in John 3, 2, when he came to him at night. 
No one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Who are you? Only God can do those things. You recognize this is God. The wonders and the signs were fear-inducing miracles which gave credence to the message of the apostles that Jesus is in fact the risen Savior. And Paul, an apostle, also saw signs and miracles in his ministry to the Gentiles. Listen to how Paul talks about the ministry. The goal for Paul was always the proclamation and the affirmation that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the one risen from the dead, that his crucifixion for your sins actually does pay for your sins before God because he is the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God. That's the meaning of signs and wonders in Paul's own ministry. If you can turn there, go to Romans chapter 15, verse 18 through 19. Romans 15, 18 through 19, Paul is describing his ministry and he puts the signs and wonders that were done through him in context. Paul is explaining his ministry to the Gentiles, to the Romans. He says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. The signs and wonders were fulfilling the ministry of the gospel, which was to get the gospel that Jesus is God's Son, crucified for all mankind, Gentiles included, to get that message out everywhere I go. And Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, speaking about signs, Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom. But here's what Paul says. Jews seek signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block. And right there, Paul says, you're looking for signs, they're looking for wisdom, here's what we have, the gospel of Christ crucified. To the Jews, the stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God. And he is the wisdom of God. In other words, Christ is the sign that you're looking for, and he is the wisdom that you are looking for. There Paul is putting the signs that Jews are seeking and saying we, we never came for the signs. We, we, didn't, we weren't running a, a ministry campaign, running around trying to impress everyone with signs. It wasn't a signs ministry. It was a gospel ministry that was accompanied with signs. We're, we're preaching the good news that Jesus was crucified and Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection is itself the power to save you from your sins before a holy, holy God. And later Paul is responding to accusations that, you know, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe Paul's really not a real apostle. Those accusations begin to float around. Maybe we shouldn't believe him, you know. Maybe we shouldn't listen to everything that he, that he says. Maybe, maybe Paul's an apostle, but maybe he's like a sub-apostle, like a subcategory. He's not really a super-apostle. He's not one of the, the, one of the apostles. So in that case, maybe we should listen to him less, take his words less authoritative. Well, this matters a lot because Paul spoke pretty strongly about his authority as an apostle, his authority to preach the gospel and speak God's word to the Gentiles. So, for example, 1 Corinthians 14 37, after speaking for a few chapters about tongues and spiritual gifts. 
He says, if anyone thinks he's a prophet or thinks he's spiritual, then he should acknowledge the things that I, Paul, am writing to you are a command of the Lord. What I'm telling you, church, is a command from Jesus himself. Well, we've got to decide, is, is Paul an apostle? Is he speaking for Jesus or not? Uh, what makes Paul so authoritative? Who, who says that we should listen to, to Paul of all people in the earth? Why is Paul's gospel the gospel? Why does Paul command the Lord's word? Well, Paul spends a lot of time at the end of 2 Corinthians affirming his apostleship to the point where he boasts so much about his credentials as an apostle, he apologizes for being so foolish about it. I've gone on and on and on, almost to the point of boasting, to try to help convince you, I'm an apostle. And he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 11 through 12, I've been a fool going on boasting and defending my apostleship. But he says, you forced me to it. <laughs> Your disbelief made me do it. For I ought to have been commended by you. You should have commended me as an apostle of Christ, preaching the gospel. For I was not at all inferior to those, and you can put this in air quotes, those super apostles. I'm not inferior to them, even though I'm nothing. I'm just a man. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. The signs of a true apostle performed among you with utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. Do you see how Paul refers to the signs and the wonders? They were both commendation that the gospel is true and commendation that Paul was a true apostle. A deposit of signs and wonders by the apostles is first and primarily a witness of the Spirit of God himself to the message that the apostles were preaching, that Jesus is the way of salvation. And so much so that the, the point of these signs and wonders in the New Testament, the point becomes, how can you possibly reject a salvation? How can you possibly reject Jesus when the message came to us was accompanied by signs and wonders? How could you reject it? Look, at me, look with me at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. You have in the book of Hebrews a community that is thinking about leaving Christianity, leaving Jesus, and going back to Moses and the law, going back to the tabernacle, going back to their priests, going back to their other sacrificial systems which were comfortable to them but were totally void of actual hope for salvation. Therefore, the author of Hebrews is writing to convince them to keep their faith in Jesus as the one mediator between God and man. He says in Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard what we have heard, the gospel that we've heard about Jesus, lest we might drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? We don't have anywhere else to go. It was declared at first by the Lord, Jesus himself, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Pay attention, stay close to the gospel that Jesus is the Christ, that He's the Son of God, that He died for sin, that he rose from the dead, 
that message in Jesus' life, that message in the apostles' witness, was witnessed to you by signs and wonders and various miracles. That is the primary meaning of signs and wonders and miracles. The validity, the credibility, that the message that Jesus is the Christ, that he rose from the dead, and it's true. That's what all these signs and wonders mean. And this ought to be our response to the signs and wonders. No one could do those things unless God was with them. See the signs laid down by the Spirit through the apostles and recognize that Jesus is Lord. That's the only way any of this makes any sense. Those signs are for us. This is God by His Spirit reaching in from the invisible and personally putting His hand at work by His Spirit in the world to show that this message of Jesus dying for you, it's not made up from man. It's not man's message. It's God's message. It's God's son. It's God's plan for salvation to you and His power working signs and wonders attributed. The apostles said Jesus rose from the dead. I can believe that. I can believe and be forgiven for my sins that Jesus really did rise from the dead. That's what the signs are for. That's what the wonders are for. To point to Jesus truly being God's Son to point to the apostles telling the truth about what they saw and heard and to validate the hope that you can have to have a right relationship with God, having your sins forgiven by putting your faith in Christ. Beware of signs and wonders and rumors of miracles that are not accompanied with the gospel of Jesus Christ as their goal. Beware of that. So first, signs and wonders were centered on the apostles' witness of Jesus Christ. Signs and wonders were centered on the apostles' witness of Jesus Christ. Secondly, fearful awe comes by faith. Where does this kind of fearful awe come from? Where is it, where is it born? Let me just say right out of the gate, signs don't make anyone believe in Jesus. They don't make anyone believe in Jesus. We ought to not find ourselves thinking that the more people... More people are, they're just not believing just because there's not more signs. No, the signs were believed by faith just like believing in Jesus' resurrection was a thing feared by faith. It's not as though the signs are only received by sight, but you have to have faith in Jesus' resurrection. Let me just go back to the beginning of Acts. They're the Spirit of God leading the apostles to speak in tongues. They're, they're preaching. They're, they're doing signs. It's amazing. And some, they don't believe it. Doesn't make sense to them. These guys must be drunk. Signs don't make everyone just believe. And as you go through Acts, you'll find the same thing that you find in Jesus' ministry. You could do the most miraculous thing. You can turn water into wine. You can walk on water. You can calm the water. You can catch fish from the water on the other side of the boat. And you're still going to come to John chapter 12, verse 37 in Jesus' ministry that says, though Jesus had done so many signs before them, they still not 
did not believe in him. It's like Jesus says in Luke 16, 31, the story of Lazarus and the rich man. The conclusion to that story was, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, they don't believe the word about Jesus, Jesus' conclusion is neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead, so ironically talking about himself. Don't be discouraged when you share the gospel that Jesus is the Son, crucified for sinners, raised from the dead, and people don't believe it. Don't get in your minds that a sign might make them believe, that some miracle might make them believe. It might help. It helped them. God used that in the book of Acts. But it's not as though seeing signs always means belief. For some, they might even see Jesus himself raised from the dead, and they didn't believe. So it seems that even the fearful awe which came upon every soul about the signs and wonders themselves, that was by faith too. You could see it. That doesn't mean that you believe that it was of God, that he attributed it to the Spirit of God, that it leads you to faith in Christ. There are no eyes to see the signs. There are some eyes that see the signs but remain blind to the Savior. For to see the signs of God and to believe in Jesus is the same belief. It's the same faith in the heart. It's the same fearful awe in the soul by faith. When you consider all the miracles that God has done yourself, something exists because of nothing. You ever, you ever study how a child is conceived and born? It, it, it doesn't make sense. Have you observed the heavens and the stars and tried to measure them lately? And just thought about the immensity of the world that we're in? Can you see God's power in everything that he has made? Have you thought about the signs and the wonders of the apostles and all the mighty, wonderful works that Jesus did and that God has done through the whole of Scripture, through the whole of history? Have you considered all that the Spirit of God has done breaking through the invisible into the visible? It's all to be received by faith. It's all born in the heart. and It's all feared in the soul. Might you recognize that unless your soul is opened up by fear and awe, that you yourself, that we ourselves could stand before Christ Jesus himself could come to the coffee shop this week and do some great miracle. Turn water into coffee and we miss it. How do you know that you're not now missing that fear and awe? Ask God to lead you to the truth. To shine the light of the glory of God on your heart like when he made creation so that you can see his glory in Christ. Thirdly, yes, God is still doing miracles. And one of the questions we begin to get any text like this, the question is going to be, well, is God still doing that? I don't think there's anything in the New Testament that suggests that miracles just stop when Paul and the 12 apostles died. Uh, that nothing like this ever happened again. I mean, I'll share some uh, example from personal experience. Clint and I were uh, outside Chandigarh, India, years ago, in a city called Abahar, which is right toward the border of Pakistan. We were going from village to village, preaching the gospel every night. Colette would share her testimony at some places, how she came to Christ, what her life has been like. We do this all through uh, Hindi translators. We come to the city of Abahar, and one of the pastors calls and says, would you guys, Pastor Nazir, would you guys come to this house and pray for this little girl? 
she's been lame for years. And we just want to ask that you guys would pray for her. Now, when I immediately heard this, I thought, well, here comes a big disappointment. Like, just to send the word, we don't do that. We're not on a healing crusade. So, fine enough, we go to the house. We even tell the people when we are there, we get there. Colette helped jog my memory on some of these things. We get there, we walk in the house, we say, listen, we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for your daughter. We're going to ask the Lord might heal her. But we make no promises whatsoever. Our hope is that God might do this, but our hope is in the gospel. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in the forgiveness of sins. I prayed, Colette prayed, our team prayed one by one, put hands on this girl, went home. No big deal. Building didn't shake, nothing happened. Next morning, we're buying a bicycle for a local pastor. We'd been walking. We used some of our extra money that we raised to buy a bicycle for our pastor so that he could ride from village to village, miles and miles, to preach rather than, than walk. We get a phone call. Pastor says, the little girl got up this morning. Now, I don't know what to do with that. I either have to look back and say, these people are lying. These people are crazy. Yeah, they're just making stuff up. They're probably just trying to get some more money from us. Something like that. I don't know. I never saw the girl again. I, just, I hear things like this all the time. I think a lot of things in the world get attached to Christianity are severely sensationalized. Or even fake. To try to get money. To try to get people to, to give money to, to movements and to be promised things that God has never promised them. You come to this church, you should never hear us promise anyone here that if you pray or if you use an oil, God will certainly heal your body like he did in Acts. No, we don't know that. We don't know what God might do. God might just as well use your illness and your suffering and your pain to bring about sanctification in you and the church and bring glory to him. It happened in the Bible multiple times. That doesn't mean God doesn't do those things. Yes, God still does miracles. God still does miracles. Next. The fear of God turns to praising the name of God. Go in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19, verse 11 through 20. Acts chapter 19, verse 11 through 20. And we'll probably just stop in verse 17. The fear of God turns to praising the name of Jesus. And that's what happens. That, that is the progression of signs and wonders and the fruit that they bear as we go through Acts. Acts 19 is a great example. Acts 19, 11. God was doing extraordinary miracles at the hands of Paul. See, there's our context. We've got signs and wonders happening at the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin, they were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize. Who are you? <laughs> and the man in whom the evil spirit 
it was in the evil spirit, leaped on them, <laughs> mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And what was the fruit of this? What happened? They heard this, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. That is an important sequence of events. Miracle, fear, the name of Jesus was extolled. The miracles were accompanying the message that Jesus is the Christ, crucified for sins, believe in Him, be forgiven of your sin, receive the Holy Spirit. These signs and wonders brought fear and were connected to the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that when fear fell upon them for having seen the signs, what came back out of their mouths was the name of Christ. What came about in their lives was the hope and the fear of Jesus. Lastly, the fear is both fearful and comforting. Fearful and comforting. This fear, this comfort, it fuels the Christian life. This is the kind of fear that puts everything in right order so that you can then live the Christian life in obedience to God and do everything that God intends for you. All came upon every soul, and that all we see, that state of the soul, bears all kinds of fruit in the Christian community going forward, really through the whole book of Acts. The fear of the Lord in the soul leads to courageously obedient lives. The fear of the Lord in the soul, comfort from this kind of fear, as we'll see in a moment, leads to submission to godly forms of authority. We see this through the New Testament. Fear of the Lord leads to wives submitting to their husbands. It leads to even Christians submitting to their governments. It leads to children submitting to their parents. The fear of God and the comfort of the fear of God frees you to submit to your bosses at work or your elders in the church. Ephesians 6, 5-8, Paul says it like this, instructing bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Paul says in 5, 18-21, he ends by saying, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That fear, that reverence is the phobos. That kind of trembling, fearful awe at God and what He's done. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a, as a cover-up for evil, using all the freedom that you have as a license, either in the gospel or in, in the world. But live as servants of God. Make your whole life a, a service to God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. 
at the center of all of your relationships being ordered rightly, honor for everyone, loving the brother, honoring the emperor, the governor, the king, the center is fearing God. That's connected to everything that we do. Might you find that your relationships in your life are out of order, they're skewed, they're messed up, they're anxious because there's no fear of God in your heart. Driving how you relate to those around you. How you deal with when people hurt you. How you deal with when people disagree with you. How you deal when you are asked to suffer by the Lord's providence. Might you find that your relationships are out of order because deep down in your heart is you just do whatever you want to do. There's no fear of God. No one ever tells you no. Not a man, not a woman, not a parent, not even God. Instead, we, as we said earlier, deep down in the heart is Psalm 36. There's no fear of God before his eyes. Transgression just speaks to him in his own heart. A heart overcome by all of the power of God is at the root of submitting to godly patterns of authority and forming relationships in a godly way. All of them. The fear of God also empowers us to reject ungodly abuse of authority, for example. In a couple of chapters, the apostles are going to be brought before the council and told to stop preaching about Jesus. They must stop saying Jesus' name. They've got to quit telling people that Jesus rose from the dead. But the apostles won't do that. Why? Because they had seen the signs. Because God had given witness about Jesus through the signs. That's part of why they say they can't help it. Acts chapter 5, verse 27 through 32. Acts 5, 27 through 32. They're told to be quiet, quit preaching the gospel, quit being an evangelist. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. No, the answer is no. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand, as leader and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So we're going to keep preaching about Jesus dying on the cross for forgiveness of sins. And look at what he says. Peter says, we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit. How did the Holy Spirit give witness? How did the Holy Spirit witness to and through the apostles that Jesus is the Christ? Many signs and wonders and miracles accredited to him. So is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So they reject ungodly authority. And they do everything that Jesus has commanded them to do instead. They reject ungodly authority which opposes Jesus. In order not just to reject authority for the sake of rejecting authority. But to be faithful to God whom they fear. A wonderful book. If you'd like to read more about this, I think we have a couple in the foyer. Is Michael Reeves, Rejoice and Tremble, about this very subject. He says, so how can the fear of the Lord free us from our anxieties and our fear of man? He says, essentially, it's, it acts like Aaron's staff, which ate up the staffs of the Egyptian magicians. As the fear of the Lord grows, it outgrows, eclipses, consumes, and destroys all rival fears. You might just be encouraged to go back this afternoon and make your afternoon reading Exodus chapter 7. 
and read about Aaron's staff and how it overcame. This is a fear, though, that is compatible, that is conducive with comfort for the Christian. All this fearfulness is not an anxiety-ridden, not necessarily a cowering away, but a trembling, drawing to God kind of fear. It is conducive, and it is compatible to comfort. It's kind of like, I'm really terrified of the United States military capability. I mean, we, we have put campaigns onto the battlefield in the recent decades called shock and awe. It's terrifying. I'll tell you what. By God's sheer grace and providence, that's my military. It gives me great comfort. Depending on who's controlling that military these days. Acts 9.31 puts fear of God and comfort together like this. The church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. And it was being built up. And the churches, having heard the gospel, having seen the signs and the wonders of what God had done, and having come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he did raise from the dead, what were they doing? Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. This is not a fear that's contrary to comfort. Oh, this is the most comforting fear, to fear the Lord. The church multiplied in fear and comfort. So it is that you can do everything God has commanded you to do. Evangelism. You know, we often deal with the most in evangelism. It's not just what to say. Most of us have heard in our sermons where the gospel is centered. We might have read a book on evangelism, talking to other people about Jesus. What do we have to get over? We say words like awkwardness. It's not awkwardness. It's fear. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Hospitality. It's a, it's a matter of fear. Telling the truth. It can be a matter of fear. Giving to the church to support the preaching of the word and the ministry of the, outside the church to the world. It can be a matter of fear. I'm afraid to do that. Following the call that God might put on your heart to go be a missionary in, a, in another country where no one has ever heard the gospel. Go take your tech job there. Go take your I can do my job anywhere in the world from a computer. Go take it somewhere in the world where no one's ever heard the gospel and join a church there. What might ever lead you to do such a thing? Fear and awe of the Lord. Fear and awe of the Lord is why missionaries go to Iran and the government says don't come here and tell people about Jesus and we keep saying we don't care. We don't listen to you. We listen to the Lord. And we will take the gospel to the nations. Maybe that's you. Maybe you could go do your job. Maybe you feel called to go. Pray for this today. Pray for this for our church today. Pray for this for yourself. 
You're looking through your life, you're wondering, mm, you know, I wonder if something's missing. Something in my soul is just, just aching for something. There could be many things going on. One of the temptations that happens in our day, in our culture today, we get allured to wanting to see more signs and wonders. When what's missing is the fear of the Lord on our souls. The fear of the Lord on our souls. Awe of what God has done in Jesus Christ. May awe come upon every soul. Let's pray. And Father, we give you thanks and praise that You have revealed yourself in Christ. You revealed yourself through the preaching of the apostles. You have testified to their witness of Christ by revealing yourself, your signs and wonders. And God, we just confess everything that you've done is, is awe and fear inducing. We just confess sometimes this is, this is not how we relate to you. We pray that you might help us see how relationships with our spouses, our workmates, those who don't know the gospel, whom we feel convicted to share the gospel with, that you might help us, by this word, put those relationships in order by fearing you, by going home today with a fear rested on us, that Christ has risen from the dead, that you are God, that you who have made the world, have made salvation like this for us that we would be sober-minded. Father, we love you. We pray this together in Christ's name. Amen.